It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, friends. Welcome to Health Conversations on the TFC Audio Project. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Andrew Dettelbach, uh, who's known as the dot shirtless dude on Instagram. And if you're watching the video, you will see the shirtless man right now. Uh, and Katie Goss, who is known as Cater Tot on Instagram. That's a great name. Um, so they are the co-founders of Wealth. <laughs> they are the co-founders of Wealth, which is uh, W then Health. So, which is uh, I love that branding. So we'll chat about that. But welcome, Andrew and Katie. Uh, thank you for taking the time to chat today, and uh, it's great to have you. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. I it's always a treat chatting with people who are solving health problems that they see in creative ways. And I think a lot of your content is. Um, I love the humor and the realness to it and the shirtlessness to it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to dive into all that. But maybe uh, for those who aren't familiar with your work or yourselves, uh, why don't you each start by just introducing yourselves uh, with sort of your health story and, you know, the one-on-one of how you got to where you are today and sort of what you're doing through wealth. We'll dig into that a little bit later on, but maybe just a little bit of an intro and in the tradition of ladies first, why don't you start us off, Katie? He's, he's nudging me. Um, so my background is that I was an acute care nurse. Um, I took care of cardiac patients in the hospital, a lot of post-open heart surgeries, arrhythmias, things like that. Um, I went into nursing because I'm very passionate about health and wellness, and I've always had this desire to help people. And I burned out pretty quickly. Um, it's... It's great in some ways in that you are able to help people. If they come in, they're having a heart attack, you are able to help them. But it is a business, just like everything else. And mm. it was a constant push for having more patients at a time. And you had less time to spend educating them and providing them with the tools and support that they needed to then leave the hospital and make lifestyle changes so that they didn't end up back there. And after seeing the right. same patients coming through over and over and not having the time to spend doing that, um, it just got frustrated. It, it became very apparent that this wasn't the way that I wanted to help people. Um, I wanted to be more on like the preventative side of things and really being in a position to empower people to help themselves. I have two kids. And after my second kid, I had um, pelvic floor dysfunction and um, pretty apparent prolapse of my pelvic organs. And that was my first time navigating the healthcare system as a patient. And mm. it was very eye-opening the least, um, at least in the U.S., the way that the healthcare system is here, even being a nurse and knowing how to advocate for myself and how to, you know, push and ask the right questions and ask for the right referrals, it was really hard to get answers and to figure out, you know, why this happened. Um, eventually, I learned that I have a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome that certainly played a role in that. And I ended up diving really deep into Pilates and biomechanics and really learning a lot more about what I could do um, given kind of my connective tissue disorder and, you know, to prevent things like that from occurring again. Um, and I had a six hour public reconstructive surgery. And along that time period, when I was diving into all of that, I found this silly guy on Instagram. Um, he was with MoveU then. And I reached out to them and started, you know, poking about, hey, you guys don't talk about pub floor. It's really important. And let me tell you why. Mm. And I ended up flying out to California, meeting with them. And, you know, they were like, yeah, we don't really know anything about that, but it sounds really important. So why don't you just teach that? Um, cool. And I ended up coming on board as the first employee. 
Um, and I designed the, the public floor program there and met this guy. And uh, here we are. <laughs> Very nice. It's, it's so funny how so many people I talk to when I ask them, you know, like, how did you get into this? How did you come to be where you are? Um, so many people, it was really stimulated by personal, by a personal experience that changed their perception of health or that made them interested by necessity. It was like, I have this problem. Therefore I have to take responsibility. And in doing that, I was like, shit, we don't talk about this, or this is not a common perspective, or this needs to be known. Um, kind of the same way that I came to be connected with, you know, foot health at the start of all this. And so, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I think, you know, we don't even, you know, I went through physio school. We don't talk about pelvic floor. It's like a side, it's like a side note, right? It's like, oh yeah. And there's some pelvic floor stuff. It might be important, but we don't cover that. It's like, I think it's probably worth covering. So, um, yeah, amazing. Yeah, Thank you for very, sharing that story. I think it's much more prevalent. Um, I know that it's much more prevalent than people discuss. It's kind of one of those things that you don't just, you know, talk to your acquaintances about. So how's your pelvic floor doing? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you holding in your pee these days? Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, just incredibly important. So. You're getting a snippy? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other day I saw, just a small little story, I saw diapers in the aisle of a grocery store, adult diapers. And there was like a 40 year old dude, like rocking these diaper underwear. I'm like, why is that dude ever in need of that product? Like, it's so weird how we've, you know, like that. I was just, I just stared Normal. at it for like a couple of minutes. I'm like, we've normalized not being able to hold their own pee. And we're selling it with like these fit people wearing diapers in their forties. This is really, this is really odd. Um, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like when there's a market to sell something, then then it becomes more normalized. Like there is an entire aisle at Target of, you know, things like that. And even they've created like pessaries that are almost like a tampon that more active women can use if they have prolapse, but they're mm. still, still aren't talking about like right. what is prolapse, what else can you do about it? Like where you don't need this thing, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Andrew, I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, I, I'm getting distracted. I've seen these exact same three models of a car come down our rural street like three times. Oh. <laughs> same color, just tripping out. Deja vu. Uh, That's okay. Keep it together so, pretty good for that weird occurrence. So. <laughs> like, what the hell? So my journey starts, I was about 15 years old and... My, my mom was pretty overweight and she got some tests and found out she was pre-diabetic and that kind of made a really big shift in our diet and our exercise components of just our living. We were, I remember getting, um, I don't know if you, not everyone here knows what Jack in the Box is, but I would get like a breakfast sandwich from Jack in the Box every day before school and I was packing on weight and I could grab my whole belly and like pull it out and I'd grab my my boobs and like pull those out. And so I was gaining weight <laughs> at that time and yeah. I wasn't very confident in myself. And then when we were kind of hit with this, all right, well, we need to shift our diet as a family or else, you know, things are going to cascade downhill. So we shifted our diet and that was, you know, we'd, we'd make transitions away from foods to healthier options that when I look back now, like I would never even touch in a store. Like they, they weren't healthy, they, they were healthier than mm. what I was getting. We thought maybe, you know, the, I was, <laughs> you're, doing, probably, you're doing your best, but you're right. It's like they're muddy waters to navigate. That was the, I think around the time where fat free was the, the big thing. So everything was sugar, which ultimately just made shit worse. Right. Um, so I started working out in the garage with like this, 
knockoff Bowflex, and that was like my first introduction to, to exercise. And um, I just kept doing that. Just terrible movements. I put like two forty-five pound plates on my chest and do sit-ups and. All, all that stupid shit. I feel like it's a rite of passage. As a young male, you just do dumb shit to try and look good for the girls, and it's like it's just what you do. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, it was about I was about twenty one, twenty two years old when I started to experience some some back issues, and I was at I was in college, and I was going to college for kinesiology, and I was learning about. I guess, chemistry and like, you, you know, you go to school for kinesiology, human movement, and I'm taking a bunch of classes that have nothing to do with human movement. And when I look back, I really didn't learn anything valuable in terms of human movement. I obviously mm -hmm. learned a lot of biomechanics and physics, which was really helpful for understanding how we move. But in general, there was no like, you know, this is how movements are executed and why. It was just mm -hmm. like, this is, this is a squat. And then that, that was really the end of it in terms of the classes that I had. Um, and I didn't know really what my body was doing in the gym. I'd pick up heavy weights, just like you were saying. I did it better than I did when I was in the Bowflex days. Um, at the same time, I'd be doing deadlifts with 200 pounds. And I thought that was like really heavy. And at some point, just over repetitive use for a couple of years, my back just really started to feel like nervy. Like I would hang from a pull-up bar and I would just feel this, this tension in my lower back and like a little bit of nerve pain down in my glutes. And then it was my final semester in college that I was laying in bed studying and I had a really crazy chest cold and I coughed and I felt a pop in my lower back from that like super intense cough, just in that flex position. And right then I just started experiencing crazy sciatica down both legs. And it stayed that way for about two, two and a half years from that point going forward. And mm. I really, at that point I had just kind of bulged my disc and it, it hurt, but it wasn't debilitating. And I kind of kept doing things, kept exercising. And it was when I went and kind of moved my mom out of her apartment to another apartment that I woke up the next morning and it was 10 times worse. The sciatica just went all the way down to my toes. Sorry if that's. Oh, I'll go stop the dryer. No, it's all good. It's all good. Keep going. And here, you're right. Yeah. Um, and it was that time after I helped move her out that the sciatica just increased significantly. And then I was really fucked. I couldn't walk straight. I couldn't stand upright. So for those of you that are watching the video, this is standing upright. I was walking around like this and I'd hobble around mm -hmm. in a, in a flex position, because if I stood upright, it puts so much tension on the nerve and pressed that, that herniation in the nerve so forcefully that, I mean, I just, I couldn't walk. Um, and I, I had Kaiser and I went to the physical therapist at Kaiser and they could only see me once a month. For, what's kaiser for those who don't know like i know kaiser, kaiser as a machine, but I don't is okay. is an hmo um so that the whole system is built so you get an insurance with kaiser and you can only yeah. use it at kaiser okay. and it was it was good like we had good insurance i was still under my parents insurance mm -hmm. at the time and um 
you know, the, the, it's still, the, the system is just kind of broken, okay. old, yep. and the physical therapist could only see me once a month for 15 minutes. And I'd walk in there and he'd show me five exercises to do. He's like, do these five exercises. You're going to need to wear a back brace for the rest of your life. And you're going to have to have supports. No, they you said that. Are, he's like, you're never going to be able to travel again without like feeling pain. So you're going to need to take this half foam roller and put it behind your lower back so you can maintain like some curvature in your lower back when you're, when you're traveling. And so I lived with that foam roller in my car for like four years, even after my injury was gone, I still didn't understand. Like I didn't need that right. <laughs> later, but, um, and I had, I had a compression brace. So <laughs> well, like a Mueller back brace, put it on, you, you pull the strap and everything cinches up that helps a ton for my disc injury, but at this, throughout the like two years that I had this issue, I would just babied it. And I was terrified of what was happening. I mean, I had people tell me all the time, Oh, this is your first injury. You're going to have so many more in the future with your disc. And like, <laughs> just constantly afraid of what was going to happen. And oh, so they gave me a ton of medication after that appointment as well. I was taking all kinds of non-narcotic meds and I went through about a thousand ibuprofen in like three months and you know, all these other, I forget the names of the, the shit with the, I was on, but my head was just gone. Like I, mm. I would go work and I worked with Mike in his chiropractic clinic at the time. And I'd work with patients and I just didn't like, I would, there's like a three month period of time. I don't remember anything. Mm just on those yeah. pills. So I, I had a little taste of what it was like to be on medication. I know some people are on that shit for years and right. that's insane to me, but uh, just having that three month period of time where I'd go into the office and I'd work on helping people reduce their pain while at the time I couldn't stand upright. Mm. And I was just, people would come in and be like, I'm, I'm you know, my shoulder hurts so much. And I'm just like, you, I can't even stand. <laughs> I haven't trouble. <laughs> I haven't had sex in months. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm right. struggling to, to do anything. I haven't worked out. I lost about 40 pounds. Um, uh, yeah, talking um, about mental health. It's like that shit wears on you. That is not a good place to be. No. And like people, you know, they don't really talk about that. They're like, oh, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. But what they don't talk about is like all the shit I want to be doing, I can't do. And it's making me a miserable human being. And everyone around me is feeling the brunt of it. And like, those are the externalized effects that we don't talk about, but like that's oh, the yeah. real stuff. Yeah. I mean, everyone, everyone was definitely affected and there were, there were a lot of things that we tried to do to help it that were like quick fixes that ultimately kind of made it worse. Like, you know, deep tissue work mm. in the area that was just so intense that like, I I've learned a lot from my injury and yeah. how people get better because we would, in the clinic, we would treat people like, all right, we need to massage these people, like massage their pain away as quickly as possible. The, um, what's, what's that company? Arosti? I don't know if you know who they are in the United States. Um, they, they like, they say they can get rid of your pain in like three visits or less, and, Red flag. which is, which was kind of the mentality that we had. And it's successful for people that are athletic and they have these, these acute injuries. The problem is that it 
doesn't, you don't learn how to prevent it from happening in the future. And that's kind of what we were doing with people. They come in, we just beat the shit out of, we get black and blue bruises and all this stuff on their bodies. And we were trying to do that with my injury and that did not work. So I quickly mm -hmm. learned like, this is going to be a slow methodical approach. And, um, I'll wrap this up real quick here, but that's all right. This is like, we got time. We I'm had, like we had a patient come into the clinic. His name's uh, Mike Koopman and he's like, dude, I, I couldn't stand up right. He's like, dude, you need to come to my CrossFit gym. And this was probably a year after my injury. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to go to CrossFit. Like my back is, <laughs> my back is fucked up. Like CrossFit, all we, we work on like 60% of our patients were CrossFitters. And he's like, you need to come to my CrossFit gym. And I'm like, no way, man. And he's like, dude, I, I don't do it the same way. And I went there and he did like a free evaluation on me and he watched my movement patterns and I had no idea how to do movements with my body. So for those of you that know me, you watch the, the Instagram, you've seen me on move you, you see me on wealth, uh, my personal page, I have very good body control. Well, I wasn't like that always. And he watched me do my squat and my pelvis would just like move. Like usually people squat and their pelvis kind of butt winks or something like that. Mine would go back and forth between anterior and posterior, just arching, rounding, arching as I was going like two or three times in a squat. Like I didn't wow. And he was laughing at me and I'm like, what the fuck? And like my back hurts and he's just cracking up and he had me do all push-ups and pull-ups and everything was just broken and loose. And like, I didn't know, I didn't have any proprioception about what my body was doing. Mm. And, um, he gave me like three exercises for, for hinging. He's like, do these every day. And I went and I did them for probably a month and my shit improved significantly way more than it had in the last several years. And there's, there's a bunch of reasons why I think that is um, part of it is just confidence, like actually having something to do that, you know, no one had given me anything worthwhile to help me. And this guy's like, do these things. And I think that in and of itself, whether it was mechanical or not, um, the mindset component of that was pretty huge. So I went right to his gym after that. And I was like, sign me up. And he took me through ground-based shit unweighted for like uh, months before I put mm -hmm. on, you know, picked up a bar and I, you know, I owe it to him for really getting me from that terrible place and teaching me a lot of the things that I know. And, you know, I've taken that and expanded upon it and made it my own, but you know, I'm, the dude's a beast. So Mike Koopman always <laughs> shouting out that dude. Shout out to Mike. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is always that people don't need, more information because like we're overwhelmed with over more with information and people don't need like they want answers but and being given an answer allows you to circumvent the lesson that you're supposed to learn with that problem yep. and you know people need clarity and i think what you just said was confidence is like it almost sounded like clarity like you knew you now had a direction of like okay i know that these things help i know i have to do them I have faith that I'm doing the right thing. And like, you can even see your progress. I have less pain. I have better body awareness, whatever it is. And yeah, this fine. I, it's funny. I won't talk about my story with, but it, there, I have such a similar story to what you have. Like in physio school, I was doing deadlifts, went down to pick up a 10 pound plate and, and literally had trouble walking out of the gym. And for three days, I couldn't even get out of my bed and stand up. Same thing. As soon as I went into straight extension, like I literally, both my legs just failed. They're like, no, you're not allowed to do that yet. And I was like, 
here I am, a physio, second year, supposed to be on rotation in an outpatient physio clinic, and I can't walk, and I don't know what the fuck happened. And I was like, all right, this is humbling, but it's like, it makes you have to take like, okay, nothing else matters now. I just have to figure my shit out. I have to figure out how can I walk again? And like, I shouldn't be asking anyone else. This is what I'm here to learn. And it's almost like by going through that, you see the realness of what you have to do. Like you literally have the tightest feedback loop possible. If I do this, I feel better. If I do this, I don't. And it's like, you get to see what actually works in reality. And I think those are the most powerful lessons that I didn't learn in school, but that teach you how to, you know, being able to share that with others, being able to relate to people with spine pain is very powerful because you're like, I went through that and I tried all these things that you probably tried, didn't work, but this worked. So I'm going to show you this and let me know how it goes. And did yeah, you want the, shocking. The, the deep massage and beat down route. Did that, did that yeah. work for you? <laughs> that did not work for me. You know, it worked for me going on all fours and flexing and extending my spine for like 30 yeah. minutes every day, every morning, because I couldn't do anything else. And I was yeah. so like, I realized that like, okay, the way cat camels are taught in physio school is like, this is a grand grandma exercise that does nothing. But in reality, it's like, that's the only thing I could do to reconvince my brain that I didn't have a spinal injury. You know, like it, it's just, it was so, it was so crazy to me how, and also the thing that jumped out to me there is like, I had no segmental control. I had no ability to segmentally control my spine. So like the way I thought about it was like, this is like Google maps where the little car with the dome on top hasn't gone yet. Everything's black. Therefore everything could be dangerous. So my body's like, you're not allowed to do shit. That's <laughs> like, like get the Google car to go That's there a- and show me that you actually know how to control it. Um, and it's like such a simple thing. And yet things like that are so overcomplicated and symptom focused, even in, even in a professional degree in physical therapy. And it was an eye opener for me. So, yeah. So that's what kind of started it for you. And it sounds like same thing. Like you had a personal experience that made you have to learn it. And then now it seems like you're kind of sharing what you wish you would have been taught with the people that you connect with through wealth or previously through move you. Definitely. And that, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think, you know, textbooks are great and academics are fantastic and you can learn so much, but there are Are some things just can't. I mean, I think that they are, they give you a starting point and a basis and like, I'm a nerd. I love information. Like I love it, but there are some things that you can't be taught. Like you, unless you've experienced it yourself, Mm. you, you can't be taught. And I think that, I mean, in hindsight, I know that both of us are really, really grateful for the things that we went through, even though at the time it felt like it was the worst thing in the world. It impacted for me, it impacted my ability to pick up my kids, to parent, like Mm. I was taking my stress out on them. And at the time it felt like just horrible. I would do anything to get rid of it. And now I'm so grateful that I experienced that because it really allows me to connect with other people and relate with them and help them because, Mm. you know, I know what that that's like, you know? Yeah. I always people feel that too. When they know that you went through that shit and they're like, all right, well, I have a deeper belief in you than the person who claims they know it because they have a piece of paper that says they know it. Um, yeah. Sorry, Andrew, what were you going to say? No, that's fine. I I was just going to say, that's a really big piece of our teaching is like that we are grateful for every pain that we experience. And that is something else for me to share is that I haven't just had a back injury. I've had crazy FAI hip impingement in this, in this right hip, uh, that lasted a good 12 months. Like, you know, every step I took was very, very pinching. I've had shoulder impingement, both shoulders. Um, both of my knees have had, you know, meniscus issues. I have a spur in my foot, toe issues, plantar fasciitis in both feet. I've experienced a lot of shit 
And, you know, a lot of that comes down to the fact that I am hypermobile. Like for those of you that can see the video, I have my arm twisted around. I actually sleep like this and I don't, I don't feel a stretch. Really? So I, I sleep awesome. with my arm like this and, um, you know, same thing on the other side. And it's, it's this, the connective tissues in my body are so lax and so stretchy that it, my nervous system doesn't know where my joints are when they're moving in space. And that's something I've really had to teach my body. So even the other day I was doing overhead, uh, carries and I look in the, the window of the neighbor's house and my arm is just like a good 10 degrees behind my head. And like, I'm just like, the weight is behind my center of gravity. And I'm like that, like, even now I still have trouble understanding like where things are. <laughs> well, I think this is an important point because I think people probably see all the insane body control you have on something like Instagram and assume that that dude's had that his whole life. Uh, he's different than me. And that's not me, right? That's cool, but that's not me. And what they don't see, I mean, your community obviously probably has insight to this, but like the average person's like, they don't see that you were messed up, that you had terrible control, that you went through sort of, you know, this hero's journey to get messed up in order to figure out what to, to do to unmess yourself up. And they also don't understand that like, you can do all that stuff if you actually work hard enough at it. Like people don't, they almost disidentify like that shirtless guy is not the same human as me. He has different <laughs> abilities. He has different genetics. It's like everyone that is where they are got there by putting in the work and learning the lesson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something that's something worth noting because it gives people hope that they can also improve and adapt. And, you know, not once in physio school was I told that the body was a self-organizing, self-healing, adaptable system. Not once. Right. Like the story yeah. you come out with sure. out of that. Out of physio school, yeah. It's like the body sucks. It breaks all the time. You have to fix people. That's the story you come out with. And you're like, oh, this is great. Paid a bunch of money. I can fix people now. And then you can't even fix yourself. And you're like, that's a shit story. That story's not true. And, you know, I think that people just, if they just knew that, they would be like, oh, I can actually work on this. I just have to find the right person to help me get clarity. And maybe this is a good place to ask you both for uh, a question that I've started to ask myself way more. And I've started to ask people in our community way more because I've realized that like the word health is very subjective. You ask 10 different people, you get 10 different answers, right? And maybe radically different answers. Um, and so I started to ask people, like, how, like when people ask me questions or need help, it's like, how do you define health? Let's start with that first. Because if you have a different target in mind than what my understanding of health is, and we're not even aiming at the same thing, but we're trying to work together to get to the same place, mm. might not work well. So how do you, uh, if someone says, how do you define health? You know, in a sentence or two, uh, which is hard. I mean, this is not a, you know, and there's no right or wrong answer, but I, I'm always curious to see how people who have a fairly deep understanding of health define health personally, which may not be their definition that they think everyone else should adopt, but I'd love to hear yours. I think for me, um, feeling, feeling good, feeling confident in my ability to pursue my goals and, and my values, I guess. I like and that. That, I think that kind of encompasses, I think there's a lot more to it than just physical health. Um, you know, as a nurse, I'm like, well, I want my labs to be this and this, and this, you know, but I think, you know, mental health is a huge component of it. And I see people talking more about that now, I think than ever before, which is great. Um, but I still think that it needs to be emphasized more like the impact that our mental health has on our physical health as well as everything else. Mm. I mean, yeah, mine, you know, I think, 
we we live together, so our ideas are going to be similar. It you know comes down to the the ability for you to do whatever it is that you want to do and not feel um, brought down by or limited by your whatever whatever health aspect it is, whether it's uh, dietary mindset, movements, pain, you know whatever that thing is. So you can do whatever the hell you love without feeling limited. Mm, that's great. And one of the side benefits that's come from asking this just to a shitload of people, both online and in person and to other people in our like foot nerd community is that there are these common themes, right? Like everyone words it differently and has slightly different nuances, but like one of the biggest themes is feeling confident um, and being able to do the things you want to do. Like those are very common themes in almost everyone's definition at some level. So even though our definitions are subjective and personal, it's like there's some common principles that you see across there. And I think if we can just sort of agree on this fundamental archetype of what health is, um, that people can then fill in the specifics with their own life to to make their own definition of health. Um, You know, like I think one of the elements in my personal definition is, is like, finding meaning in making progress every day, which progress can be like, go for a 10 minute walk that you didn't do yesterday. Perfect. You're making progress. And if people just, I feel like so many people think health is like a destination or uh, a look, right? Shirtless dude look, or this notion of like, Oh, I never have pain. I never have any concerns. I never have to work on anything. It's like this weird destination that people create is like such a shitty story. And it's no wonder we don't know what to do with health, right? It's like health is a process instead of a destination is sort of the notion I accept. And if people know that it's really about making progress, then every day is an opportunity to make a little bit of progress. And, you know, anyone, that means like an overweight person um, who has bad mental health and maybe has pain everywhere, literally can decide to be healthy tomorrow by doing something better. And that, I think that just gives hope to people to be like, okay, I'm not far away from health. I'm just like, at step one and I shouldn't compare myself to people with step or at step a hundred. Maybe I should learn from them, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I just find I was always projecting what I thought health was on other people. And I was like, I don't even know if they think that that's what health means. And but what is health? <laughs> I started asking myself these questions. I was like, shit, this is way deeper than I thought. Um, thanks yeah, for sharing one of the things that we do with with our members as they kind of enter our ecosystem is ask them about their goals and sometimes challenge those goals. So, you know, a lot of times we'll hear the goal of, I just want to be pain-free or just want to live without pain. Mm. And, you know, that's one that we like to challenge because it's like, do you though? Because pain can be really valuable. It's an incredible motivator. It teaches yeah. us all kinds of stuff. Um, it's not really something you need to be afraid of. Like, what if you could do things confidently, even with pain, because you're always, mm. you know, whether it's physical or mental, like pain comes and goes over the course of your life. And so is that a great goal to have? Like, eh, yeah, not. I mean, you understand the essence of it, right? Like people don't right. want to suffer. Um, yeah. But that's a really good point to nip that in the butt right at the start, because it's like, if you look at pain as this magical teacher that we're all born with, um, to never want to talk to that team, do some really powerful stuff is like, probably not a good goal. Um, but understanding where that comes from, right? Like people there, there's a thing where people don't feel pain. It's like those people die off really quick because pain is really protective. Yeah. I use that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and how do you, you uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. I, I think people, your sense, like your sense of pain becomes heightened when you're so super focused on it. 
Like, is it there? Is it not? And then when it's not there, you're like, is it going to come back? Am I going to do something that's going to make right. the pain come back? And you just become like super heightened, focused on the pain. And when you can kind of yeah. shift away from that and adopt the mentality of like, it's going to come and go and it's okay. Like mm. nothing terrible is happening. Like if it's acute traumatic right. pain, fine, then that's a different story. But like, just yeah. don't focus on it so much mm-hmm. can be helpful for people. And I think medicine and rehab, in terms of a culture demonizes pain. I think that's, you know, everyone gets that story from somewhere, right? Um, like babies, you know, like I have a nephew that's two years old. When he smashes his hand on something, like he's not afraid of the pain. He doesn't like the pain, but he doesn't have this fear that like that is the enemy. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> like he learns from it, right? And if we didn't culturally program people to fear pain by focusing all of our conversations on pain and making it the enemy, like our mission is to get rid of your pain. It's like, that's a shit mission. Like that's not really long-term. I don't know if that does much. Um, so it's, it's, it's always trying to understand like, where do people pick that up from? And I think we just blast it into them every time they have pain. The people they yeah, go that, see say pain is terrible. There's a whole aisle at Target with pain relievers. <laughs> really? <laughs> I gotta go into Target. seems like it'd be entertaining. <laughs> I was entertaining um, Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know, Walmart is. Yeah, that's a unique, that's a unique ecosystem right there. <laughs> um, one thing I'd like to hear from you is like the people who find you um, and, and sort of like get an on-ramp into your ecosystem to get help. It's like, what do you, what are the common obstacles that you see people are facing? So obviously there's pain, which you kind of talked about, but what are the challenges that people are letting you know that they're facing? Like the, the big ones that jump out is really common. I mean, the, the first one is their, their pain above everything else. And they're always generally looking for like, what is the, the best exercise or the, the best stretch right. or massage for this particular pain? Uh, that's probably the number one thing that I see. And I'll have to actually think a little bit more about the, the other ones. Um, I think people are limited to like, they, they're like, I just want to get back to fill in the blank, running marathons, mm-hmm. doing CrossFit, mm-hmm. like whatever the thing was that they were doing before they got injured, before they, you know, started to experience pain. It's like, they want to get back to that. For some people it's work, firefighters, stuff like that. It's yep. like, it's impacting my ability to work. And there are, yes, some- I love that your fingers are between your toes right now, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> I do that. I'm, I'm a fidgeter a lot. I, I, I love that. It looks like, yeah, I'd be doing that if I was on the ground too. I just wanted to note that. There, there are quite a few people that complain about their issues and you give them feedback, you give them support and they just immediately shut it down. They're like, no, this is, this is my, my issue. It's, I was told that it's always going to be here and I'm, you know, there's no way to fix it. And it's almost like, um, there's, there's a group of people out there that are trying to one up each other about how shitty their life story is. Yeah. They're not willing to to try and work on something. And even if they do, even if they are given this excellent idea, some awesome support, they just immediately shut down. No, that's not going to work. Yep. <laughs> there's there's yeah. quite a few of those people. Yeah, there's well, some. It almost seems like people identify, like um, people begin to import their pain or their issue as part of their fundamental identity. And like some, I've seen this sometimes where it just like blew me back. Like I remember um, I saw a lady in the clinic with fibromyalgia, like body hurt itis because you don't move. Like is kind of how I diagnose it. Okay, yes. Um, and you know she was so connected, and and like I I really tried to be empathetic because I was like 
this lady doesn't want to be in pain. This lady doesn't want to think that this thing that is causing her suffering is part of her soul. Um, but someone has told her so much stuff to program that, that she just can't separate. She can't disidentify from it. And I really just started firing questions. Like what, who told you that? What makes you feel like that? Do you think that's the, actually the truth? Like, are you, are you willing to not, are you willing to think of what it would be like to not have this? And mm. she just like, was like, just stuck. She was like, Oh my God, I've never asked myself this question. And you know, she ended up being sort of a patient that I had to quote unquote fire. Cause I was like, we're not going to make any progress. If you're unwilling to move beyond you being connected with this, like intricately. And she ended up coming back a couple months later. She's like, all right, I'm ready to not think that I am this disease. I was like, all right, now we can start doing some stuff. And like within a month, she was like, I feel great. I don't have pain anymore. And it was almost like she had made up her mind. She was going, she was a human that had this thing that caused her pain. And all the best she could do, like you said, was try and find the best, the silver lining in having this shit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing we don't get taught enough about in physio. And I know they don't get taught enough about it in medicine. I have friends that I talk to um, is the power of the language you use to diagnose people and what that does psychologically to them, internalizing that into their identity. Like it's, it's messed up that we have to un help people unlearn before we can even help them. Like, why is that ever a thing? Exactly. And I, I was just going to say, we get quite a few people that ask, you know, uh, Hey, I was told that I'm not supposed to do X, Y, Z. Is that true? Mm. It's very much like trying to get a second opinion of some sorts. And I'm always just like, you can do that. We're uh, so afraid of. It does make a huge difference. So like there is this like stigma that is given to doctors, I think, where, I mean, even me, like as a nurse, my background, like I was told that I should never lift more than 35 pounds after I had my reconstructive surgery and stuff. And that's mm. still like days when I'm lifting a lot of weight, there's like that little thing in my head that will still, even though I know that it's wrong, like it right. still is there. And I, yeah. I do feel like that, you know, they need to be so cautious about what they say. And especially when it's like a cover your ass kind of statement, mm. you know, like when there's like, what was that based off of? Like you should right. never lift more than 35 pounds. Why? Like, how did you come to that oh. opinion? Because it's really just an yep. opinion that's probably being said to cover your ass. So like, don't It do ends that. up like, if you take a big picture, you're actually not covering your ass because you're giving harmful advice. <laughs> like yep. we actually dive deep into the levels of harm that that can, that can hold on someone long-term. And that always frustrated me when people come in and I'm like, you know, like a seven-year-old will come in. I'm like, all right, we're going to do some dead. Have you ever heard the word deadlift? No. Well, it means picking something up off the ground and like, we'll check out your mechanics. They're like, I'm not allowed to do that. Really? How do you take your garbage out? How do you pick your kids, your grandkids up? Like, I think you do this stuff. You just don't call it a deadlift. Let's work on the form so that you don't have to think of the form when you do it. And it's so crazy how much people take it as truth, right? Where they're like, yeah, I'm not allowed to, to lift over X amount of pounds. And this is the law of the world now. Well, there's, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of power in that degree, you know, being a doctor and like, they just yep. don't believe them over anyone else. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really, really weird. Um, <laughs> like I know so many doctors who, you know, don't are unhealthy are like literally very, very unhealthy. And so, you know, I always try and put a little asterisk being like, I feel for, I have empathy for doctors and the fact that they are so deeply programmed and, 
have put, you know, I, I always feel like the amount of money you pay for your degree is directly correlated to how confident you are that you learned the stuff, right? It's like the more you pay, the more you think you learn the right stuff, the more invested you are and the more cognitive bias you have when you hear opposing viewpoints. And I've met these unicorns that have gone through medical school and were like, this is bullshit. I don't learn about health. I don't know anything about how to help people be healthy. All I know how to do is make them feel temporarily better. And it's refreshing to hear someone who's shed that cognitive bias and has realized that like, you know, I paid this amount of money, but that was just what I had to do to learn that that's not the truth. And I think there's more and more of these people coming out and, and seeing like you, you can only, you know, smash your head against the wall and, and fool yourself into thinking it's good for you, for you and the people you're working with for so long until you're like, all right, I gotta, this is, it's not working. No. Um, and sometimes when they hit the wall with their health, which is interesting. Exactly. And uh, I've met a few naturopathic doctors and they have this bad stigma because of the, the nature, the nature, natural shit, right. natural <laughs> part of their name. And everyone I've talked to, they're like, yeah, I, I learn everything that a medical doctor learns. And then I learn all of the, the shit to actually get to the root of the issue. And I'm like, mm. That's just a functional health doctor. Yeah, the functional health doctor, stuff like that. I'm like, that is a significantly better doctor than the person that just learns how to treat symptoms. Yeah. I think even just the open-minded doctor, like, are you willing to see different perspectives? I think that that, you know, we have some, uh, we have probably, like we have an emergency room physician, a radiologist, someone who did an MD, but chose not to practice medicine in this core group of foot nerds. And some of the conversations I have with them is like very insightful. Um, and you know, if it's just a big, there's so much momentum behind this institution of medicine and there's so much, like it really is. And I shouldn't say medicine or doctors, because clearly a naturopathic doctor is a different person than someone who just does traditional medical school. Um, but like when we know better, we need to do better. So it's like, how do we, you know, we're working right now to create a better option for health education. Cause like higher education is going through this paradigm shift where it's like, if you're paying 30 grand a year to go to a university and all you're doing is watching things on your computer in your bedroom, why are you paying 30 grand a year? You know, yeah. like, like we're, it's like the shit is going to hit the fan. And <clears throat> the reality is that the best health program is one that requires someone to commit to a period of time, like maybe a year to get healthy, like to literally do the experiments yourself to get a little bit of knowledge, but then get the personal experience to be healthy. And then you can layer on, you know, some knowledge to help others. But like, you know, I think that can be done to where it's like 90% cheaper, takes 75% less time and makes you healthy so that you have a foundation of <clears throat> understanding to share from. And like, I think yeah, that's cool. they're big opportunities. Like so, yeah. Yeah, um, I, think, I think doctors too, like the ability to say, I don't know, um, yes. I think is, is something that I respect because I think a lot of doctors feel pressured into providing an answer to the patient. And there's some things like maybe surgeon's not the best person to ask about your exercise routine. Like that's right. not really their lane, right? And so if, if a surgeon yeah. said, you know what, I'm going to refer you to a physical therapist or someone who knows better than I do about that, because I'm not really the one to tell you whether or not you can Olympic lift or squat or whatever. Yep. I think that would be so much better than them just giving an arbitrary answer of like, no, you should never do that again. That's dangerous. Or like CrossFit is bad or Right. You know. And somehow their perspective trumps the perspective of the guy who runs a successful CrossFit gym. And yeah. it's like, 
and and I've worked with some badass surgeons that are like, can I come hang out with you in the physical clinic to understand what the hell you do? Because I should probably know that. I was like, yes, please do. And they're just like radically open-minded and they're learners. They're not like, they're not knowers, they're learners. And that's like this, this categorization that you can almost instantly get by asking docs a few questions. Like, are you more interested in learning than being right? Or do you want to just show yeah. me that you know more than me about a tiny little slice of, of life? Sounds um, like a Canadian. I think, <laughs> maybe. No, I think yeah. that- I think that that is, is a great message too. Like, I guess I don't understand completely the way healthcare is in Canada, but here a lot of times, like it's up to you to decide who your doctor is. Like you can Mm. choose your doctor. So I'm, I always try to tell people like interview them, like meet them, ask them questions and then choose the one that seems like they align with you best. Like you don't have to just go with whoever you were referred to or whoever's the first person is that you found. Um, Well, yeah, like part of this, project to sort of read to give a better option for health education is to offer um to create a health help marketplace so the people who finish this this rite of passage of being healthy and have acquired some knowledge can be put into like a health help marketplace let's think of it like uber like you rate your uber driver so you can avoid the shitty one why don't we have a system like that for health why don't we incentivize the game theory of health so that you go to where the help is not where the degrees are and that that's validated by people who have gone to that person and been shown that they're effective um, anyway, I'll, I'll share with you more about this whole thing. Cause we've got a pretty interesting, um, yeah, like we've been doing this experiment with the footnote program for a while to figure out like, can, will people, will highly talented people actually engage in like this collective learning experiment so that we all contribute knowledge into this database that we all have access to, uh, and can this be done at scale? And it looks like we're going to move forward with it and we'll need some teachers. And, uh, so yeah, anyway, conversation for another time, cool. but, um, that's awesome. I'd love to hear, um, you know, like where, what, it, when people come into your ecosystem and I love that you called it an ecosystem because it really is like, it's, there's so many different phases. If you're working one-on-one with people that they go through and it's like a, it's like a network of systems that you've got to triage people into. What does it look like for someone? If I come, I say, you know what? I love the concept of wealth. Uh, I need to improve my health. I want to commit to learning they come and see you, like, what is the macro level pipeline of where they go and, and how they go through that? Because I think there's probably people listening to this who would be interested in connecting with you. And it'd be great for them to have a macro understanding of like, what does that look like? Um, so that they can get an idea of what you offer. Yeah. So we're completely online. Uh, we don't see people one-on-one at all. And so when they come to the website, they enroll in the program and then the introduction to the program, you know, starts to kind of prepare them for, for what's going to happen. Um, we enroll them in our private community and that's where, you know, some of these questions will come with like, introduce yourself, what are your goals? Um, and then we do the weekly coaching calls in there where, you know, we will go over things related to movement in the coaching calls, but there's also a lot of work that we do on the mindset and, and it's just a lot of really educating people on realistic expectations and, you know, what it, it takes because it, it takes hard work to, mm. to achieve yeah. your goals. If, if you do come, come into, you know, whether you're overweight or, um, you know, in pain or whatever it is, like, it's not easy to overcome that. If it was, mm. everyone would do it. Right. <laughs> but people right, are still right. buying healers and doing surgeries and looking for another quick fix. Cause it's, it's not easy. Like changing your habits and your patterns that you become accustomed to with food and the big emotional connection with food is, it's just not easy. So it's, 
it's a process and um yeah, the, the program, we have two. One of them we've kind of taken down for now, and that was the first one we released. This next one that we just released last Friday, so that was the 12th of March, in case someone's listening to this five months <laughs> from now. <laughs> yeah, 12th of um, March, 2021. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that one encompasses a lot of movement. That's what people have really been looking for. So there's okay. a ton of movement aspects in there. And it's a progressive series. So going from your little, your cat camel um, idea all the way through to, you know, doing squats and deadlifts and, and bigger movements and also a lot of isolated uh, joint work. So, you know, end range conditioning stuff. Um, and then the nutrition component is all encompassing. So whatever your diet is, it's designed to help just improve that. And it's kind of more of a holistic approach and getting more um, fats and proteins into your diet versus some of the other things. And just increasing water intake is a super simple thing that people don't think about that makes a, we didn't realize it would make such a massive impact. On people. Mm. So that's cool. And then there's obviously going to be the, the mindset components that are, that are built throughout that, Really just kind of educate and challenge you on your ideas of pain and just this this idea of progress. And the thing is, like Katie said, it takes work and mm. we don't like to say that you're gonna get you're not gonna improve quickly. Like you're you're going to see improvements in your confidence. Like I talked about with my own injury, like that guy gave me a few exercises and, and just doing those few things made a big impact. And I'm like, wow, I'm on he set me on a path here that mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I'm already feeling 5% better, which is 5% better than I was feeling for a whole year. Right. And you know, that, that tiny growth, I'm, my pain's not gone. I've been doing this shit for a month and I'm only 5% better, but you know, it's, it has a cascade effect. And yeah. that's kind of the goal of the program is to, to get people to work on this over the long haul and to make this a part of their life and to get them obsessed with, uh, improving themselves yeah. and that's uh, part of part of the ecosystem too we have a lot of people who um we've worked with for for years who came on to wealth with us and joined and you know they're kind of like our like the mentors of the group you know like they've they've accomplished like incredible results mm. and you know now they're there to continue learning because as we I mean, we continue to learn all the time like the more you know the more that you know that you don't know <laughs> And so like what we teach is always evolving and adapting to the newest stuff that, that we're learning. And those people, you know, are able to kind of demonstrate for the newer people what's possible or to show them what's possible. And for a lot of people, I think seeing that, you know, just gives them more hope and direction. I think a lot of people yep. come in feeling lost, like overwhelmed with options and information and who do I trust and who do I listen to? And they feel unique. Like this, this situation for them is no one's ever yeah. experienced it. And it's nice and to have special. They're special. Everyone's fucked up. So. And I think yeah. that like when people come in, especially if it's, you know, pain injury, they, you can really feel like you don't have any control over what's happening. Like mm. your, your life is just subject to this thing, this injury, this pain, this. Um, and I think that having a, kind of a map laid out of like, okay, here are the steps that you're going to take. I think right. sometimes giving them that mm -hmm. sense of control um, and them feeling like they have control over what's happening. I think that in and of itself is, is really helpful for some people. Um, 
you can't control the pain, you can't control the injury, you don't know when it's going to go away, but you can control what you do about it every day. And you can control committing to that, that process. Yeah, I think that's really Sorry. important. And one thing, what, that's okay. Um, that's okay. I snuck in a screenshot as on my computer as you were doing that. <laughs> um, one thing that you said, Andrew, which I think is really important is this notion of progress. And, you know, like I think most of my, what I zone in on in terms of learning is understanding human psychology. Cause like at the end of the day, human beings are like these insanely complex creatures and to understand health, I think you have to understand humans so that you can understand how they perceive health or how they make progress mm -hmm. in health. And this notion of progress, I think for so many people is binary, right? It's like, if I have pain, I'm failing. If I don't have pain, I've succeeded. Mm -hmm. And the reality is like, like you said, you can be 5% better, which is good. But if you don't tune into that 5% of like, like what made you feel like it was 5% better, like slightly less pain, able to do a movement now that you couldn't do before. If you teach people to see the gray space in between and you allow them to be mindful of these are indicators of progress that are beyond your binary framework. Um, progress is a primary motivator for humans. Like if you see yourself moving forward, that's extremely motivating that that makes you want to continue and i think part of it is just teaching people that there are metrics for measuring progress that are a lot smaller and a lot narrower um that you can tune into and and prove to yourself that what you're doing is working because like that's a really important thing we don't talk about in rehab and is really important this is kind of anecdotal but i've noticed that the people that see that progress and catch on to it are not so much in their head psychologically mm -hmm. about their issues. So they, they're, they're learning these physical components and they're, they're seeing this process. It's the people that they don't notice any change and they're not feeling any change that they're, they, they use a lot of negative terminology in their sentences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of what ifs, uh, buts, um, can not on purpose, right? Um, they don't even no, 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 they just, yeah, yeah. They, but, but drawing their attention to that can be mm -hmm. really helpful. And sometimes it's like, you know, we'll tell people, you know, this might be a little blow to your ego. And if this stings, it's like hearing us say what we're going to say stings. And it's a really good indicator yeah. that we're talking about you. So yeah. like, and why does it sting? Like, why do these triggers exactly. happen? Like there's a reason why it irritates you yeah. or you get, yeah. you have an emotional reaction to it because there's probably some truth to it. And getting people to journal um, has been incredible for that because mm -hmm. a lot of these people are like, I'm just not getting any better. And then yep. you ask them to start journaling and they're like, oh, well, you know, a week ago it hurt when I put my shoes on and today it didn't hurt when I put my shoes on, but they wouldn't have noticed that if they weren't yeah. writing those things down yeah. and looking back for reference. It's not well, so much journaling. Like today I, you know, ate a cookie and, you know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> today a butterfly landed on my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. That was better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, like, back to this thing of I come from a biology and psychology background. So this whole notion of understanding humans is like endlessly fascinating. And the, my primary research subject is myself. Like, I don't know how, why I do half the shit I do. So I'm trying to figure that out. So, but this whole negativity bias that we're wired with is like, we are supposed to tune in to bad shit all the time. You know, if 10 good things happen, but one really, you know, see pers one bad thing happens on our perspective, we do not think of the good things. So like you almost have to, tune people into the fact that good things happen, but you don't pay attention to them. Let's get you paying attention to them. Then the bad things become less obvious. And I think taking, you know, I stopped calling it journaling because when I said to people, they just like tuned out. I'm like, okay, just take a log, like write some shit. 
Yeah, about how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Like, like well, however you want to word it. You need like a really badass name for it. Like something that's just like like super badass. All right, well, email me if you think of one because I'm I'm still looking yeah. for one because logging data, people are like, what are you, a test tube scientist? It's like, no, I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to do better here. Um, but yeah, this notion that like we zone in on bad things, we almost don't even tune into the good things. And if you help people acknowledge that, like you said, like just bring it up and show them um, or like show them all the good things that are happening that they didn't even think of. And they're like, oh yeah, that is true. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's like, yeah, just like think of it. Um, and one thing you talked about before about these people who have gone through the programs acting as almost mentors and like leaders in this, in the group you've created, you know, two, um, I watched this amazing masterclass by a game designer, the guy who designed Sims, um, which is like this first player game that people design their own cities or whatever. Um, he's a game theory. He's, he's, he's a game theoretician that, that actually designed this game. One thing he said is two learning technologies that we literally forgot about, but are innately human are storytelling and play. And when you talked about people in the group inspiring others by telling the story, it's like, that's storytelling. And, you know, the two underlying things we want to change with this new offering that we're going to do to, you know, give a better option for health education is storytelling through sharing um, and play and showing people that you can take a playful mindset with health. Like, if, you know, to me, health is a yeah. mindful novelty search done through play. I try different things. I'm mindful as to how they affect me. And I just have a lot of fun with it because it has to be fun for you to want to continue it. And yeah, what you said with people sharing their stories is like storytelling is very powerful and we've, we've stopped doing that. And that's so, it's so much better than professing, like than teaching from this broadcast. Like I know the things, listen to me. It's like, no, this is just my story. Take it for what you will. Hopefully you learn from it. And I'd love to hear yours. And like, that's really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. I think that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Now it, we've been so having kind of talked about, Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to, I actually have a question for you. Um, I'm curious where, like, research go. Mm. <laughs> like, what do you think? There's a lot of, um, I don't know, with social media, you know, there's like kind of this conflict, I feel like, in the PT, like physio work you know, evidence-based research and posture does not correlate with pain. And mm. it, <laughs> there's almost like this kind of attacking back and forth thing that occurs. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, I mean, probably worthwhile saying is I'm not a, like I, I stopped being a physio because I stopped, I, I tell people I stopped being a physio so I could be a health professional because uh, like I haven't been treating in clinic for probably a year and a half now, but, but I don't really acknowledge with the physio label. I didn't re-register because I just want to engage with health and physiotherapy is just, I wish they would have named the degree for what it was, which was, a degree in orthopedic symptom management. Like I wouldn't have gotten that degree if I knew that's what it was. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate of personal research because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what paper you show someone, like it's so hard to do good science on humans. It just really is. And I think there's a place for research, but I look at it as like, okay, human health is like a 5,000 piece puzzle. You can't show me one piece of that puzzle and tell me that that tells me everything about the 5,000 pieces. So great that you did that piece of the puzzle and you probably spent a lot of money doing that. But <laughs> like that, like, am I supposed to take anything from that? Because it's like research is about isolating variables. Humans are immensely packed with different interdependent variables. Like that doesn't mean shit to me. You know, like I, what I do in my own life and how I feel means a lot to me. 
And when I ask people about their personal research, which is kind of what this Putner program is, like we're all just doing our personal research guided by a little bit of knowledge. And we're sharing and finding trends and like, oh, I did this and I felt good. Oh, you did that and you felt good. Oh, you did too. I don't care if this research tells me that it's not good. Like we all say it's good. Um, yeah. So I, I, it pisses me off and it triggers me a little bit when people hide behind research. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, uh, like, well, this is the next thing I wanted to chat about and then we'll kind of wrap up with some rapid fire questions at the end because an hour flies by pretty fast, um, <laughs> is frameworks. <clears throat> And one of the frameworks that I use and that we kind of um, talk about is this tree of knowledge. So you have this tree um, and the most important part with a tree, it starts with the soil. The soil is what allows the tree to grow. So the soil is um, a lot of these, you know, like your environment, um, your belief system, that is kind of the soil. And then you have the roots and the roots are like first principles of physiology, right? So like the body adapts to what you expose it to. Um, the body is a self-healing organism, all that kind of stuff. You go up to the trunk. If the trunk are general heuristics, like it's better to eat food than to eat food-like products. And then you get up to the branches, and then you get up to the leaves. And the leaves represent specific knowledge. And we focus so much on the specific knowledge, the highly specific research study or exercise. And we do that without even talking about the branches or the trunk or the roots or the soil. And yep. it's like, let's focus on the shit that matters. Because it turns out when you know all the rest of the stuff, you really stop caring about the leaves because they mean very little. You know. So that's my take on research. I'm just like, it's, it's you know, if you, if you love research, go ahead and do it. But don't tell me that that's the truth because you just, you're so, you're magnified at 100,000 uh, magnification that you forget what you're even looking at. And yeah. I think that's how I feel about research on humans when it comes to health. It's just so hard to do and have tangible things that can apply to the broad population. Whereas I'm more like, let's talk general and agree on things we can all agree on. Cause there's a lot we can agree on. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I feel. Yeah, about it. no, that does. It definitely like aligns a lot. It, we just end up having a lot of conversations because people are, there's a lot of like what research study supports what you're saying, you know? And it's right. like to some degree, like, yes, it, it's valuable to some degree, but like anecdotal evidence, mm. I don't think should be dismissed either because like how does yeah. re- an idea for research come about? It usually comes about because of anecdotal evidence that points to like, maybe this thing is true. Right. And as a third generation nurse, like sitting down with my mom and my grandmother and hearing how evidence-based practice, you know, research has directed like all the nursing initiatives and how things just go full circle. Like mm. now we're gonna do this because evidence-based research tells us it's best. Well, now it's going to be this. Now it's going to be this. Now it's back to this thing that we were doing 30 years ago because we knew that it worked, but we yeah. went away from it because one study came out said we shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> and like the older yeah. nurses are like, yeah, you dummy. Like I could have told you <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing new. There's just old things we forgot about. I love that saying. And it's like, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes when I have a research conversation with someone, because I, I like, we're getting into we're, one of the communities we're forming is this natural podiatry community. It's like, let's take podiatry, which is just like totally lost and misdirected, and let's bring it into the future. Um, and I've, I've crossed paths with a lot of really badass podiatrists that are like, yeah, we're, we're not doing the right thing. Like, let's do better. Um, but, you know, this classic conversation that I have where I've really stopped even trying to defend anything. I'm just ha- trying to ask the questions that just like sting really hard because it's sort of hard to answer. And, you know, people would say, well, show me the research that being barefoot is better than being in orthotics. 
And I'm like, okay, this is number one. I just want to laugh at you because that's such a dumb thing to ask. But <laughs> you know, they, this is this is how I think of it. Someone comes up to you and says, Andrew, what color is the sky? What color oh. is the sky? Um, okay. It's actually clear, but a but that's because of no oh, fuck it. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> you would, most people say the sky Whoa. is blue. Yeah, same blue for I would say, no, Andrew, the sky is black. I have lots of research and pictures to show you that the sky is black. So what are you going to say to that? What if the research says this? And then I would say, why don't you just go out and look at the sky? This is my metaphor for why don't you just take off your shoes and see how your feet feel? Like, don't, don't, don't hide behind this research bullshit. How do your feet feel when they're bare? Because if you tell me they feel terrible, tells me that you have no strength in your feet and you're supposed to be a foot professional. Let's talk about this. Yes, so I, I think it's just like this, you know, and you might have pictures of black skies that you've taken at certain times, but it doesn't mean the sky is black, right? You went real deep with that when I asked it, which I kind of liked. I'm like, <laughs> but, I, uh, I've learned in astronomy that it's not yeah. blue. Well, the light spectrum <laughs> of human atomic and yeah. Like that's the best answer. But, um, so that's how I think of research when people just ask me goofy questions and it's more a chance for me to ask, like, what is your definition of research? Like, what is your definition of science? Cause science is just doing everything we can to not fool ourselves. So is that actually the spirit you're trying to embody? Or are you just trying to show me, you know, some shit that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Flash, I don't care to know, you know, that's another thing. Um, <laughs> so let's get into, okay. I got, we got 18 minutes left. So the first question I'd like to ask you um, is how did the shirtless dude thing come? Like, how did, <laughs> I just want to know where that started. Cause I think it's brilliant because you're literally like showing people, you know, what you're talking about by showing them the product you've crafted. And I love it. It's like, so in your face. <laughs> well, it, um, so when I was with Mike at Cali Spine, we started social media to just, I went to a chiropractic conference with him and I actually got a chiropractic badge and I'm not a chiropractor. And I went to a bunch of different like uh, symposium things that they had. And, sure. and one of them was social media for your business. And I, I mean, they threw all kinds of metrics up there and I'm like, fuck, we need to do this. Like mm -hmm. that's going to help bring people to the office. So that's why we started social media is to get more people in the office. Uh, do you remember so, when that was? Like what year it was? That would have been 2015, 16, hmm. something. That would have been 15. 15, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what we started to get on too. It's just, I always, yeah. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. And, um, I think it was like the third video that we did. The first two, I had my shirt on or something like that. And the third video, I took my shirt off for some middle back thing that we were doing. And it just popped. It went viral. <laughs> we're like, that's awesome. So then I put my shirt on for the next video and it didn't do so well. And then the video after that, I took my shirt off and it popped. And we're like, all right, the shirt stays off. It helps with engagement and getting people to our page. And it was really just that simple. That's and awesome. uh, obviously it stayed. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you can learn. Like I realized early on that anytime I posted something with glutes in it, it just blew up. So I'm like, shit, I got to do weekly glute posts in some way because like people want to learn about assets, I guess. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you can kind of hack human psychology a little bit. On, like social media is just a game, right? If you can like 
play the game and be mindful of what works and what doesn't. It's not that hard to engage people. And, you know, the hope is that you're doing it for the right reason. It's clear that you are. It's funny because I do best just like giving people the information, the stuff that's going to help them and really get them to understand something. Like if I put all my energy into the education component of it, like it just doesn't do well. I have to do something like kind of funny, clickbaity, and it just takes, you know, the education just kind of goes down a little bit as a result. I get, I fumble more, which is Mm. fun and organic for people to see. And at the same time, like the education isn't as good. Like in our program, I'm very much focused on the education. Funny things come out of my mouth, but I'm not like, you know, wearing tighter shorts or pinching my nipple or, you know, just doing stupid shit to get attention, you know? Yeah. But that's the game, right? Like when you're competing with butts and cars on Instagram, you have to play the game to get attention. And it's like, if you're doing that, you know, like we get chirped sometimes for the clickbaitiness of our online seminar. It's like, I'm trying to trick people into paying attention to take care of themselves. Like that's not a bad thing. I got to play the game or else you're just like the smartest people on Instagram are not known on Instagram <laughs> because they don't play yes. the game. Yeah. Those people uh, get salty, by the way, they, 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 they reach, you know, they'll reach out to us. You're not dude. I'm like, there's, you're upset. Not yeah. because of, uh, <laughs> you're, upset. you're not out there. Right. Those there's are the, good between the clickbaity yeah. playing the game and giving good yep. information there's some that are like so far clickbaity that they just sort of lost the, the yep. good information i agree it's like a continuum and it's like if you know where you stand and you know how to play the game with good intentions um yep it's 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 a game and you're right like the salty professors that are making 150k a year to be shit at their teaching job like you can only hide behind that until there's a better alternative and we're getting close so beware um, I'd love to hear about, uh, I always ask people about keystone habits. So like habits or behaviors you do on a regular basis that seem to catalyze a bunch of other behaviors. So are there any keystone habits, uh, that you have And this smile makes me look forward to what you're going to say? All my habits. She's like the most habitual structured person. She breaks some of them for me. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. I, if I could, I would wake, I would do the same fucking thing every single day. So regimented that, you know, I think I mean, you and me would get along very well if we were, if, if I was where you yeah, were. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I had a, I had a roommate. His name's, his name's Bobby. He, he was in our old program and he moved out and worked with us at move you. And he lived with me for like a year and he was just very much like a blank template. Like he didn't, he didn't have like necessarily much knowledge about health and wellness. And he just did everything I did. And we did the same shit every day. The dude is jacked. He's huge. He has like the same body. Like they just look the same. The, it, like he just, he lived <laughs> my life with me and like, he looks yeah. like me. And I think that was just really cool little experiment for, for me mm-hmm. to do. This guy just did everything I did. But in terms of like, I have like I do the same same stuff journal like, every morning first thing like coffee what time do you wake up at uh that is part of the issue like she breaks me away from my house so my, <laughs> I'm gonna blame you for hand off me <laughs> so it, it just depends on whether or not the kid the kids are, we have the kids half the time so yep. when they're not here I'll wake up around eight when they're here I'll wake up around seven thirty. And so it kind of fluctuates. And I think that that's one thing I've been challenged with is my sleep schedule. 
Mm-hmm. And it is kind of one of the least healthy things that I have been uh, doing as of late. So I'll, sometimes I'll get more sleep, sometimes I get less. And that's it's just very much not on par like it like it used to be. Um, I don't even know where to get. Like I, I hop on the bike for 30 minutes and then I do my... You know, here, maybe this is better wording. If there's one thing that you usually do that you couldn't, okay. that would mess up your day the most, what would that thing be? Oh, so working out. Work, working out, working like my, my workout, if, if I go to bed the night before knowing that I'm going to do a workout the next day, like I want to do a workout, it's not a rest day. I'm not just sitting on the couch. Then Mm. that is my main focus. I don't care what else happens that day. I'm getting Mm. a workout in. Yeah. So that's a keystone. That's what I would consider a keystone habit where it's like, that is a linchpin to the quality of the rest of your day. If it doesn't get done. Um, And it comes the type of workout you know, matters for me as well. So, you know, if I'm going to go do, if I plan on doing heavy lifting that day, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that, but there's times where I don't want to, there's a lot of times I don't want to work out because mm-hmm. I do the same, like, you know, going and lifting is fun for me, but at the same time it can get boring. So those are the days when I go in and I'll do like just weird ass movements that you see on my Instagram. I'm like, I'm going to, okay. this is play day. I've yep. never done this before. I've never seen it before. I'm going to try to put my body in positions that don't make sense and are going to scare the shit out of people, but I think they're fun. So that's, yeah, yeah I like still it. getting in that piece. What about you, Katie? You got to have some sort of thing that you're like, I, I, if I don't do this, yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a fun person to be around. The workout for me, for sure. Okay, I mean, cool. We definitely right. have that in common. And I think, I think that and the, like, taking time to connect on a deeper level, like we mm. just, some point a lot of times it's before bed that we kids are in bed and whatever where we just yeah talk and connect and that's yeah it's like putting nice. putting boundaries like making that time sacred and putting boundaries around it like people don't talk about that shit that is so important when you're in a relationship um great exercise for people just it's super uncomfortable at first is to lay there sit there stand there whatever it is and look into the other person's eyes for five to ten minutes don't say a mm-hmm. fucking word just look at each other's eyes Yep. And that Without is, looking away. It's don't look away, look a lot right into the eyes. Um, it's a really, you know, after about a minute or so, everyone's all giggly that he, you know, and then after that minute or two, then it just starts to get real. And you're like, whoa. Yep. Yeah, I did that. <clears throat> the first time I did eye gazing was at like this conference, like this um, entrepreneur's conference or whatever. And I had just eaten a certain kind of fungi. And it was not good timing to do this <laughs> with complete strangers. It's five minutes. It was the longest five minutes of my life. The first time I did it. And it was with some, some guy that was like, we're super nice guy. But I was like, in my head, the conversation I had in my head, I wish it could have been recorded. Cause it was like, why am I so uncomfortable right now? Why is this so weird? This shouldn't be weird. And I was just like, the guy was probably like, this person's a psycho. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. But yeah. I, was, I don't know what, a, yeah, poor guy, but that's a good one. That's a great one for people to do. If you're, uh, for couples. And, uh, yeah, I should probably do that more. And if we don't people. have another person stare at your dog. Or yeah. Or Our dogs are great. Just, and even kids, like I do that with my, uh, my brother's two-year-old, like my two-year-old nephew. And like, it's so crazy how radically present kids are at all times. And it's like such a good reminder to be like, wow, I'm a space cadet. Sometimes I need to just be here now. And this kid is teaching me a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And then the, um, 
the last one to both of you separately is what are you into right now? Like in the, within the realm, the umbrella of health, what are you like super stoked on? What are you learning right now? What are you really jazzed up about in your, I guess, personal health practice can be anything. It can be really specific, it can be really general, just whatever. Um, I, I mean, I continue to be just fascinated by the core and breathing and just the relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. That's something cool. that I just continue learning about and I'm just very intrigued. And I, I'm enrolled in a few different courses right now that I'm like partway through and I kind of jump around between them. But. Nice. Uh, a few things for me, um, nasal breathing is something that I kind of just started back in October. September or something like that, 2020. And that's been a pretty big game changer for my fitness and just heart rate, uh, resting heart rate and just being able to keep my heart rate low during exercise. Now I'm able to do it uh, nasal breathing during um, like hit workouts, high intensity, get my heart rate up to like 180 and I'm still breathing through my nose. So that was a pretty mm -hmm. good um, challenge. I know that <laughs> we read the, the breathe book and they're talking about like, you know, get your, getting your heart rate lower during exercise. So that's something that I would like to work on is during those hit um, exercise, you know, those hit circuits, just being able to breathe through the nose and get my heart rate lower uh, has, will be great. I've been doing the, the bike for 30 minutes a day, the echo bike, basically the assault bike. And it's evil. And it is. I fucking hate that thing. The only piece of equipment I've ever thrown up after using. Uh, oh. never, that's never happened to me before. So, um, 30 minutes on that, I've noticed my heart rate has dropped significantly over the last uh, six months of being on that 30 minutes a day. And my, my leg. Nasal breathing? Are you nasal breathing on there? Yeah. For every everything that I do now, it's just nasal breathing. Um, yeah but my, my legs are like twice the size they were just being on the bike. So I'm having problem with clothes and, <laughs> but, but like I'm able to hit the same uh, wattage at like half the heart rate. And so now I'm like cranking it up and that's been really cool to see. And lastly, I'm working on trying to gain because I get asked all the time, how do I gain? How do I gain? And I'm like, I'm trying to give people advice. I'm like, I don't know how to gain. So gain as in like weight or like gain, weight, gain, gain muscle mass. Like I, gotcha. I've never actually taken the time to do that. So mm. I'm exploring like how much I need to fucking eat, which sucks at times. Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot of food. Yeah. Um, of functional, functional hypertrophy is a, I have a lot of respect for people who do that well, right? Like for people who put on a lot of mass, but can still wipe their ass and have a good relationship with food. Like, Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> so I've been working on that. I was two, I was, was it like 215, maybe three months ago? And I'm 230 right now. How tall are you? Six, five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, I could be way bigger. <laughs> I look at, um, but you know, then I have to eat shit. Yeah, so. exactly. And so many people I know that are in the bodybuilding world, literally just like, wrote off their relationship with food because food is a chore for them now i'm like i can't give that up i love food like i want to be friends with food forever um i don't want to break up so yeah it's um so, but i love that you're challenging yourself with that because it's like that's how kind of i look at myself too in terms of when people ask me questions that i can't answer i'm like i haven't tried that yet like maybe i should try that i can't give you an answer now but i'll experiment with myself and in a month ask me again i'll give you some input on like the experiments i've been doing um 
And that's sort of, you know, one of the things, just the last thing I'll mention that we do within the Footner program that is, and the Footner program is like a sandbox we've been playing with to see if we can scale up um, like a collective learning organization, like not a university, not a school, a, a group of people who are learning together and be able to do that at scale. Um, and one of the things that we've leveraged is uh, distributed learning. So like university is uh, centralized broadcast learning. So the knower researches and then tells everyone. Whereas um, distributed learning is like every node, every person is a node. We're all learning in this and, and interconnected in a network. And we bring our lessons that we've learned to kind of a hub, which then makes sense of it and then spits the information back out to all of us. It's like this collective sense-making protocol. And it's so powerful. And really what everyone's doing in this network is like they're all doing their own experiments every day and they're taking notes and they're sending their insights to a central hub, which then puts it into um, this database and then we all get to learn from it. So like when you learn something, everyone learns a hundred people learn a thousand people learn. And I think that that is like, you know, it's sort of in line with this disruption that you see in like, you know, taxis got disrupted by Uber, which is really just technology, right? Like the, the university or the education institution of the future is connecting people with technology through community. Like, I really think that, that shit can take down both, you know, higher education and health and also create a health system. Like we don't have a health system. Yeah. We have a, a disease management band-aid yeah. system. And it's like really weird that everyone's sick and we don't seem to know why, even though we don't have a health system. Yep. Um, so anyway, I, anyway, an hour and a half goes by really quick. I'm very appreciative of your time and all the fun stuff that you guys mentioned. I'd love to do another podcast in future. Like I kind of stopped doing podcasts this year because it was just getting a bit overwhelming, but I do them intermittently. And uh, this is a really fun conversation. Thank and to anyone happens. listening, yeah, anytime. Um, I, I mean, yeah, we love that. I always learn. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the feet. We, <laughs> I, we definitely, like, I learn a lot from these. And when you were talking about, you know, people taking what they learn and, like, putting into this hub, and, like, it's kind of what's happening right here. Not on a daily basis. Yeah. You're, you're connecting people with what other people have learned. And that's, that's kind of exactly. happening with podcasting. and Yeah, yeah. through story. Right, you're telling your story. You're giving your perspective. Uh, we're comparing notes and wanting to learn instead of be right. And like, you know, like one element of this education platform is, you know, at the end of the day, there is going to be someone, a person who has the deepest knowledge on a topic. So, like Matthew Walker is a G when it comes to sleep. Through the internet, we can all learn sleep from Matthew Walker, right? Like, why would we pretend like anyone knows more? Like, you know, maybe he's quite sciencey, but like. The cool thing is that if Matthew Walker wanted to teach 100,000 people and all those people had their questions funneled into a system and then he did a podcast once every three months to answer those questions, that is collective sense-making where we're together learning. It's not just like, ah, oh, nowhere teaches us. It's like, okay, give us some information. We'll put it into action. We'll give you the feedback. Let's see what you say, think about that. And then copy and paste. And like, if we do that, we learn way faster than any, like, Caltech can't learn that fast because they're doing broadcast centralized teaching and it's like, can be pretty powerful. So anyway, I'll uh, be posted about that. And um, to anyone learning, we hope that this conversation was insightful um, and, you know, let people know if they want to find you um, the dot shirtless dude. And um, what was yours? Again? Tyler. 
cater tot. And then in terms of websites and, you know, give them like 30 seconds of just like, where can people find you if they want more info of what you do? So you can go to uh, spreadwealth.com. So spread and then whealth.com or our program. Um, Spread wealth is our Instagram. So again, whealth. Uh, And you said the other, the other socials. That's what we have so far. Cool. Well, thanks again for the chat and the people listening. We'll catch you when we, when we talk to you next. Thank you, uh, I used to say next week, but like, I don't do them every week. So I got to get out of that. <laughs> habit. Uh, ciao for now. Take care. Oh, give me a sec. I'll end the recording. Oh, what have I done there?